A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to the Unplayable Podcast. Australia are off to another World Cup final after a tense win over South Africa here in Eden Gardens in Kolkata. Three-wicket win. They got over the line and it looked like it could go either way for a little bit there, Lou, didn't it? It certainly did, mate. It certainly did. I mean, it felt like it was a different kind of World Cup semi-final. He said it's another World Cup final for Australia. They're gunning for their sixth men's ODI title. But it and it was another Australia win over South Africa in a semi-final. I mean, South Africa now five semi-finals appearance in nine tournaments, pretty good record, but they've never got past the semi-final stage. In 99, Australia, uh, you know, they choked. South Africa choked, didn't they? We, we've all kind of seen the replays. In 2007, they got blown away. Here, that was neither. They didn't choke. They didn't get blown away. Uh, there was some outstanding new ball bowling, which we'll talk about soon. Um, and they just were fighting to get back into the game from there. Um, but really, I thought South Africa lost the game in the first dozen overs of their innings, four for 24, uh, and then in the first half dozen overs of Australia's innings, none for 60 Australia were after six overs. So that's ultimately what it comes down to. No choking, unfortunately. This is a choke-free podcast. <laughs> well, we did hear from the South African coach, Rob Walter, after their loss. Uh, so we'll get to his quotes in just a sec, but we'll run through the scores first. Temba Bavuma won the toss and chose to bat first under cloudy skies here. There was a bit of rain around and... You know, lots of cyclone talks that we touched on in the last podcast. But it was clear, like it was uh, dry enough when we started play. The pitch had been under covers and maybe batting first was the wrong decision as Mitchell Stark and Josh Hazelwood were on fire with the new ball, getting it to do all sorts of things. And as you said, Lou, they fell to four for 24 in no time at all. After that, though, there was a bit of a rain delay and that probably helped South Africa as Heinrich Klaassen and David Miller put together a 96-run partnership. Travis Head was the one who broke that partnership with two wickets in two balls, and he was pretty pumped up about that. But Australia didn't have an answer for David Miller, who got a fantastic century of 115 balls. And to give his side a chance in this match from a position where they looked like they were no shot at all. In the end, they were all out for 212 in the final over of the innings. That was when Australia picked it up. And as you said, they got off to a flying start with none for 60 off the first six overs. But then a couple of wickets, David Warner for 29, Mitchell Marsh for a duck, had South Africa thinking they were in with a chance. Travis Head scored a match-defining 62, really, off only 48 balls, which got Australia into a position where they didn't have to take too many risks. And even though Tabre Shamsi and Keshav Maharaj were excellent with the ball, uh, Australia were able to tick along with just three runs and over for a majority of their chase, getting home with three wickets in hand and 16 balls to spare in the end. Pat Cummins again 
the man with the bat at the end. He was accompanied by Mitchell Stark. 16 not out Stark got as they passed the finishing line and there was probably a bit of relief on the faces of the Aussie batsmen at the end when they got those winning runs. Well, let's go back to the start because I think that's kind of instructive and really decided the game. And let's really dig into that power play that we're kind of talking about. Temper Vuma gone in the first over of the day. I mean, that was such a big moment for Mitchell Stark, who in this tournament has not taken many power play wickets um, and especially hasn't taken many power play wickets in the afternoon when the ball, it doesn't skid on. But this pitch all of a sudden, you know, had come to life and was behaving in a way that no one was really expecting it to. Like it was tennis ball bounce. It was a bit of nip either way. And Josh Hazelwood was just a perfect man at the other end, wasn't he? He got Russi van der Dussen, uh, and he also got the massive wicket of Quinton de Kock. I mean, that man, Pat Cummins, he was a little bit expensive with the ball, but the catch he took to get rid of de Kock, running back, judged it perfectly. Like, he was just so pumped. And you could tell the Aussies were just, um, you know, really – like, that was their, their crowning moment. They, they knew de Kock was the key uh, to kind of cracking the game open. Um, so Bavuma, de Kock, van der Dussen and then Markram. He's probably the one who tried to get on with it a little bit and just couldn't. I mean, it was amazing that they were one for ten after eight overs. I think the this other stat I had was that they scored nine runs off the bat from the first 49 balls of the match. Mm, wow. So there were a couple of stark yeah. wides in there that um, added a couple of extra runs. But just wildly good bowling and look a bit of timidity with the bat Rob Walter made a couple of good points in the press conference about how they actually I kind of asked like you know were you too timid did you why didn't you fire a shot against these guys and he made some good points he basically said that they tried to it was just really really good bowling um, and ultimately that decided the game well an example of that was Quentin de Kock Josh Hazel was in that middle of or in the middle of his excellent spell and he bowled three dot balls in a row to de Kock and got to a point where de Kock thought well I need to get moving he was only three off 13 that point he tried to go over the top and Pat Cummins took a wonderful catch running backwards sort of backpedaling from mid on mm. uh, probably had to go half the way to the boundary mm. and took a good catch over his head and as you said that was what really started it for Australia even though that was the second wicket of the game and then it was well what I found really interesting was that Australia were keen to keep the foot on the throat seven overs off the top for Stark and six for Hazelwood. We haven't seen that much, mm. certainly in this tournament, but over the last couple of years. The conditions suited them and, and Pat Cummins was just going to let them go. And basically eight on the trot for Hazelwood. There was kind of one where Cummins came in and bowled and then there might have been the rain delay around that point. We missed about 40 minutes of rain. Um, but, I mean, there were a couple of interesting captain's calls from, from both teams. You know, the first one kind of being Hazelwood not bowling his full complement of overs. I think that was a mistake. I think that they could have been chasing under 200 if, you know, um, a guy who was going at two and over, was it? You know, two for um, just getting his figures up here. Two for 12 off eight, less, less than two and over. Um, if you kind of give him his full complement of overs, even if it was through the middle or mm. even if he did just bowl in 10 um, up front at the start, that could have, sh- could have shown a bit more foresight there. Um, and then maybe just, you know, subtracted a couple of overs from, uh, you know, Cummins himself or even Zampa, who just, just didn't quite have the day that he wanted to. I think he got hit for six sixes in the end. And I'm pretty sure all of them were during uh, that partnership between Klaassen and David Miller. They're the two who really got on top of him in that uh, 200 and something run partnership in a bilateral ODI a couple of months ago um, when he went for none for 113, the worst figures of all time until Baz Dalid, uh took the record off him the other night. But those two really have a good handle on him and mm. I think maybe Pat could have um, foreseen that a little bit and maybe maybe held him back. At you know the other end of the scale, you kind of understand why you stick with a guy who has been their best bowler 
in this tournament. The other one I, I thought was so Hazelwood might not have bowled uh, enough overs. I thought Maharaj didn't get on to bowl early enough when Head and Warner were going really hard. They brought Markham on uh, in the seventh over, I think it was. Really great call to bowl off spin to the two left handers. But it kind of got to a point where, um, yep, they got Warner out, yep, they got Marsh out. But they didn't want to bowl Maharaj to head because he spins it into him. I just kind of think you throw the match up out the window in that kind of situation. And I'm kind of thinking this, and then they bring Maharaj on, and he bowls head with his first delivery. So sometimes the matchups aren't everything. Yeah, well, before we get right into Australia's reply, we better talk about the spin uh, options for Australia, who, as you said, it was not the sort of performances that we would have expected. Adam Zampa, who's had such a terrific tournament, finished with none for 55 off his seven, but at the other end, or on the other side of the coin, Glenn Maxwell was terrific with none for 35 off his 10 overs and was really in a position where he could tie up an end when Clarsen and Miller got going. Um, but also, as you mentioned, Travis Head also had a great day with the ball, two for 21, including two wickets in his first over, uh, that of Heinrich Clarsen, bold beating the outside edge and then Marco Janssen LBW with uh, one that turned a lot more. And you made a really good point at the time. We were sitting next to each other and I'm kind of going, how's Klaassen missed that ball from Travis Head having not had my head up for the ball immediately before? It spun quite sharply in towards mm. leg stump. Um, and he's kind of thinking, oh, you know, this is actually spinning quite a bit from this, um, you know, part-time off spinner. And the next one just kind of goes straight through. So in isolation, it kind of looks like a, you know, like poor batting, but it was the, the one that kind of um, got him the ball before. Uh, and then the very next ball after he got and spun one sharply again, hit uh, Jansen on the pad and that's two and two. Two massive wickets. And it's just kind of been the theme for Australia in this tournament that just when they're, you know, that was a, a 95-run partnership between Markham and Klaassen. Just when things aren't going Australia's way, they get a, a someone pop up from out of nowhere, Maxwell the other night, um, you know, Cummins in the Sri Lanka game with his bowling. Um, you know, not always, they're not always Maxwell-like level performances, but just little things that kind of get Australia back into the match. Travis had also had a good night with the bat. Uh, in Australia's reply, we know how tough it was for South Africa to start with the bat and they would have been hoping that they could do the same with the ball when Travis Head and David Warner walked out to bat. And while they did get a bit of movement, there was some early swing from Janssen and Rabada. Uh, they couldn't get a handle on Travis Head who smacked 62 of 48 and took the game away from South Africa pretty early in such a small run chase. It was helpful leather stuff. And, I mean, Warner, who, you know, only made... 29 off 18 balls. He hit four sixes in there. So 24 of his 29 runs came in sixes. He, I mean, they really got a hold of Rabada in his third over where he went for 21, oh, yeah. three sixes. One of them was a free hit. Good captaincy from Bavuma to keep him on for the extra over. So we later found out that he's got a bit of a bruised heel mm. and that affected um, him not being able to bowl towards the end. Uh, but they kept him on. Markram got David Warner with his first ball of the game and then Rabada comes in and knocks over Mitch Marsh. Fantastic catch from Rassi van der Dussen to, to kind of complete it. Yeah, hell of a catch from van der Dussen at cover. Marsh had started with a couple of dot balls and then finally got one out of the middle, but unfortunately into the diving hands of van der Dussen. It meant that uh, Steve Smith and Travis had had a bit to do and while Head got to his half century, there was a bit of a stumble in the middle overs there uh, Tabre Shamsi, uh, the main man with his left arm, Rispin getting Labuschagne and Maxwell in quick succession. The Maxwell wicket, I didn't think it was a fantastic delivery, but it didn't really bounce that much. Maxwell went back to pull it over mid-wicket's head and uh, it uh, got underneath the bat and bowled him. And what about Shamsi's reaction? Like he's basically <laughs> done two full laps of the 
the wicket square. Um, like even he's by a, his standards, it was crazy. Wasn't he's it? Imran Tahir reincarnated. Isn't <laughs> he? The great South African spinners just love a celebration. Yeah, he's Imran Tahir on crack, basically. Like it's <laughs> it's kind of nuts. And look, it fired his teammates up. I think it got the crowd in behind him as well. We got more than fifty thousand people today. I kind of understood why they talk about Kolkata as a venue. Like we were sitting outside there for a little bit of the run chase, weren't we? And it just really felt electric um in a way that you know is probably different to you know an indian game right where you know it's going to be obviously a lot louder but um i think people warmed to shamsi in that moment and they were really barracking for south yeah, africa were, that, yeah. that surprised me because australians are very popular in india but i get the sense you know i don't want to sound like a, a boasting aussie but i got the sense that the indian crowd would probably have preferred to play south africa in the final so we can touch on that um, you know, as a bit of a preview to the final. But, yeah, Shamsi kind of getting things up and about. Manus out, uh, Maxwell out, two massive wickets. And then Kutsia comes back for this ripping spell. Well, he was the man you wanted to see play, wasn't he? He and was, he got, yeah. he got the nod and his first over went for 15 runs and mm. he didn't come back until much later. But his second spell was absolutely electric and he got two wickets. Well, yeah, I'm glad you pulled me up there because we're having a chat to the South African journos about, you know, who might play in this game for... Um, for South Africa and their verdict was, oh, well, Shamsi will come in because the, the pitch is going to spin. And I said, oh, well, you know, would Ngidi make way because, you know, he's probably been the, the worst performed quick of, you know, just looking at the stats. And they said, no, no way. Kosia will be the one who makes way. Lo and behold, at the toss, Bavuma tells us that Ngidi's um, the one out of the team and Kosia is playing. It was an aggressive move because what the you know the South Africans are kind of saying is that yeah he's taken 18 wickets at under 20 uh, coming into this match but he's a really aggressive bowler and he does go for runs so strike rate is low average you know can be on the higher side and economy rate can be on the higher side uh, and Shamsi's very much that type of bowler as well a guy who bowls at uh, middle and leg stump a lot a guy who bowls a lot of leg side wides just because he's so aggressive uh, so they kind of went all out attack, which I really enjoyed. And it looked like they were going to pay off because, yeah, it was Shamsi with those two wickets. Then Kutsia uh, getting Josh Inglis with coming around the wicket. So um, it was kind of an interesting tactic, um, bowling a lot of short stuff, but also the odd full ball. And that was what got Inglis kind of going in underneath his bat. And then Smith just played a shot that you wouldn't expect him to. It was almost like he'd gotten through the spin and he really wanted to cash in on the quicks. Uh, and tried to launch Kutsia over mid-wicket. It was a really uncharacteristic shot. Certainly gave South Africa a second or a third or a fourth wind by that stage of the game, but uh, Mitchell Stark and Pat Cummins were able to, to take the sting out of it. I also reckon, uh, well, Temba Bavuma bowled 16 straight overs of spin there with Maharaj and Shamsi uh, when they were at their best. It's probably a good thing for Australia to have to face such high-quality spin on a pitch that did spin a lot because in a couple of days' time they're going to get the exact same... Uh, proposition once again when Jadeja and Kuldeep and possibly, dare we say, a third spinner gets a look on a, a Menabad pitch, which at this early stage we are expecting to take spin as well. <laughs> we're expecting to take spin. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it takes spin for <laughs> India's uh, well, home well, I final. Well, I say we, I say that's, that's a me sort of you're comment. You're expecting, yes. you're expecting that. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I would also not be surprised. I mean, going back to the 16 overs straight of spin, we're talking about captain's kind of calls. I mean, that might have left them a little skinny on the spin kind of when they were bowling at Stark and comes there at the end. I mean, I do understand that you had to bowl those guys, you know, at the best batters through the middle. But uh, so it probably wasn't so much a captaincy thing, but, you know, more of a, the fast bowlers letting Bavuma down a little bit. 
Um, you know, Markram did beautifully with eight overs, one for 23 as a, as a kind of part-timer. Katia, you know, gave his all and he was expensive and as you kind of expect him to be. But I just thought Rabada was disappointing. Like, yep, he's got a bruised heel, but it's a World Cup semi. Like, bring, bring your A game for this and he kind of let him down a bit. And Marco Jansen, mm. I, I think he's always has the potential to... Um, be a little bit wayward at times and uh, he didn't really give him much tonight either. So if they'd been able to get some overs through the middle from either Rabada or Janssen, uh, just some tight overs, not necessarily wicket-taking overs, it might have meant they could have bowled Shamsi more at the tail, Maharaj more at the tail, uh, and it could have been a different story. Josh Hazelwood made a good point at the press conference just now saying that uh, Kuldeep Yadav and Ravindra Jadeja are awaiting them in Ahmedabad and they faced a left arm wrist spinner and a left arm finger spinner tonight as well. So um, good dress rehearsal, I suppose. Very good practice. Now, we mentioned the choke word and Rob Walter, the coach of South Africa, had a good answer when he got asked with this question at the post-match press conference. So why don't we hear what he had to say about that infamous word? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's you need to define what a choke is. For me, a choke is losing a game that you're in a position to win. In this instance, we were behind the eight ball right from the, the word go and we actually fought us our way back into the competition. So for me, uh, there's nothing even remotely close to a choke that happened out there today. Um, it's a serious contest between two good teams. Yeah, so no shame. There's obviously a legacy for South Africa of losing these um, these semifinals. Uh, I just don't think you can draw a through line. I mean, none of these guys played in... Uh, 07, 2015, even when they had a heartbreaking loss. De Kock played in the, the 2015 loss, but there's you know not that many of those guys. Um, I mean, it would be heartbreaking for someone like De Kock, um, who you know has now played in two, you know, heartbreaking semi-finals. ODI career is now right? over. It is, right. yeah. I mean, it's a real shame because he is he's a, he's an excellent batter and he's also an excellent keeper. Like just mm. watching how he goes about his work, um, it's a good, good catch off Steve Smith today. Um, you know, kind of diving forward, but. Um, yeah, it, it is a shame because I really enjoyed how they played their cricket this tournament. And there were a few moments tonight where if it maybe was their day, things would have gone their way. I mean, it was also mentioned that a couple of catches just dropped short and a couple of uh, chances were spilled maybe just off the side of the hand or those sorts of things. And you need a bit of luck as well in cricket, don't you? And especially in semi-finals where the margins are so tight. Uh, if not everything goes to plan well, it might not be your day. I think that uh, that's going to be the case, especially on Sunday, right, when Australia come up against India. Like, we've just been watching them all tournament and just kind of marvelling at how good they are. Coley, Shiraz Iyer, like, there's just not a weak link in, in that team. I'm not sure how Australia are going to beat them. Australia are very strong in their own right, but um, it just kind of feels like we're collectively building to this... Um, uprising of Indian emotion here. It, it's kind of hard to explain. Like we were watching the semi-final, weren't we, at a at a, a restaurant, and they had the semi-final on on a big screen, and just the the passion for this Indian side is kind of something I haven't really seen anything like it before. Yeah. So if you're a listener and you've found a weakness in the Indian side, please yeah. uh, get in touch with the show and let us know because we're still looking yeah. as well. Louis, was there a moment of the day for you on this momentous occasion? Look, I'm going to handball back the moment of the day to you, Josh, because I know you spotted something that the viewers wouldn't necessarily have seen on the television. Oh, well, yeah, that's a good point. I'm not sure if it was shown on the broadcast, but in the uh, 35th or 36th over, we got an interruption to play in the uh, Australian innings because uh, somehow a patron jumped onto the field. I'm not sure how because there's a thick and a very tall fence surrounding yeah. the entire boundary. So he somehow got onto the field. And at least 10 foot tall, I'd say. At least 10 foot yeah. tall, barbed wire on top. And so he somehow um, got past that 
um, obstruction and he's run onto the field. He's not interested in the pitch, the ball, the batters, the umpires, anything. He's run up to David Miller, who did score that fantastic century in the first innings. And while maintaining social distance, took a selfie on his uh, iPhone or Android or whatever it was mm. and looked pretty happy. And then he was just escorted by police and he didn't put up a fight. He uh, had a smile on his face as he was... <laughs> taken right around the boundary i mean he was getting plenty of love from the crowd mm. as well i'm sure um but that's now a selfie that uh, will live on in history i'm sure i get the sense that he might not have been smiling a few moments later just you know with some of the rough justice that might be handed out by the by the law enforcement here in in india oh, how did david miller feel about getting his selfie taken i couldn't quite make out his face uh no he didn't seem too perplexed when uh, he was when the intruder was getting taken away he gave a shrug to a uh, quentin de Kock, but uh, nothing more than that so he might be looking to add that to his Instagram page if, if a collab gets offered by the intruder. It might well be. I mean, it hasn't been a great year for security guards. We saw Johnny mm. Bairstow have to take things into his own hands during the ashes when a um, – was it just stop oil? That seems like a lifetime right, ago. Yeah. And, and then got, we had Jarvo, that infamous oh, streaker, that come on against the Australia-India match. So We don't even need to talk about that guy. No, we don't need you to know. talk about that If Jarvo, guy. if you're listening, just turn it off, mate, <laughs> and stop subscribing. <laughs> that might just about do us for this episode of the Unplayable Podcast. Do join us on Monday morning when you'll have the recap of the Australia versus India final from Narendra Modi Stadium in Ahmedabad. Thanks for joining us and we'll catch you on that very next episode. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.